When we talk about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we may often say that Jesus led a perfect life. What we mean is that Jesus was without sin. But doesn't it mean more than that? Jesus not only lived sinlessly, but he lived perfectly, with masterful teaching, heartfelt compassion, and agape love. Join us in this episode of Where There Is Hope as we consider Jesus' perfect life. Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. So we mentioned in the intro that when we talk about Jesus' perfect life, we always mean his sinlessness. And I don't want to just take that for granted. So before we go into the rest of the, of the episode and the notes, I do want to take a moment to look at that. There are three, and maybe four, depending on who you think wrote Hebrews, uh, different New Testament writers who confirm that Jesus lived a life without sin. So I just want to run through those real quickly, and then we'll get into uh, their other points. First, uh, the Apostle Peter. For in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, he writes, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Pretty straightforward. Yep. Then the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 5, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Once again, pretty straightforward. Thank you. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Peter chapter 5, or verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Yet again, pretty straightforward. Thank you. And then the writer of Hebrews, Paul or whoever it was, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And finally, pretty straightforward. And what I loved about these examples is you get two people from Jesus' inner circle, and Peter and John. you got the Apostle Paul, who obviously came later, and then whoever the writer of Hebrews is. So you really have four very different people, very different writers, but some who were very close to Jesus, some who saw the resurrected Jesus. Um, so you, you, you have a lot of different perspective there. And as you mentioned, and I appreciate you bringing it out, this is not ambiguous. These people claim uh, very resolutely that Jesus was without sin. I'm not going to beat that dead horse anymore because we both believe that. Mm-hmm. And I, more mm-hmm. than likely, if you listen to this, this podcast, you believe that too. If you don't, email us at WTIHope at gmail.com. Thank you. I always forget what our email address is. That's not good. All right. I mentioned in the intro that Jesus' perfect life was not just a sinless life. There was more to it than that. And I think, as I started to study this, that we could probably do an hour, hour and a half on this. But I don't think anyone would listen to an hour and a half episode of this I know podcast. I wouldn't. I don't think I would either. So we'll just focus on a couple, or maybe three. So let's focus on the first idea of Jesus as a teacher. And I want to, I want to start by saying Ted Newell has a really good piece about this on uh, the Crossway website. And I will try to link that in the show notes so you can take a look at it. He's cobbled together a lot of different, different sources, uh, some you know and some you don't, but it, it's a really well put together article. The title of the article is, What Kind of Teacher is Jesus? 
Thank you. Probably important to say that. So, John, how did Jesus typically teach his audiences? Uh, using parables. I think a lot of a lot of times is parables or uh, wisdom teachings. He taught with authority. Yeah, that that differentiated him. So, you, teaching with wisdom sayings was not really that unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and you even think about the proverbs. The proverbs are a lot that way. Uh, but the parables are a little bit different. But you know, we know historical authors who taught with wisdom sayings. You think about Aesop and his fables or things like that. But yeah, what differentiated him was the authority that he, that he taught with. So it's good that you, you brought that out. So Jesus' teaching in parables accomplishes a couple different things. For those people, especially common people, which he said, he, he more or less said, was his audience in multiple occasions. Those people who are really seeking a Messiah, did the parables make it easier for them to understand the aspects of God are more difficult? Um, I would say, I don't know if I would use the word easy, but definitely easier than those who weren't interested. I think in our, in our Luke study at our church right now, it was, it was brought out that if they weren't seeking God, they didn't hear a spiritual lesson yeah. at all. Yeah. But for those who were, uh, I think you're right. Easier is is the right emphasis. Yeah, and I only say that because the apostles have difficulty Mm -hmm. understanding some of the parables, and we know that they were seeking Christ. So, um, no, you're right. And and even us today, when we go back and look at some of those parables, some of them are very difficult. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's true. Easier is a, a good way to say it. But what at least it did is it made it, it put it into a relatable terms. It would be very difficult. It would be impossible. Let me rephrase that. It would be impossible if Jesus came down and talked to us about spiritual matters in a heavenly way. We would have no ability to relate to or understand that. So he didn't do that. Uh, Instead, he he spoke in the parables. And again, that makes it a little easier maybe. Um, But those people who were following Jesus for less than honorable reasons. Uh, The crowds always included the disciples of Jesus, but then also included those who were there just to try to catch him in a trap or find something that he said that they could use against him. For them, did the parables make it easier to understand God at all? No. No, again, they they didn't even relate it to God. Uh, They just thought he was storytelling. Yeah, and it's, I think it's a way we can do that. We can look at these parables and think, well, let's see, how does this apply to me and miss something really, really much more important? And I think that that's probably the, the way that they heard it. Mm-hmm. You know, these are interesting. Maybe there's a little life lesson here. Maybe there's a moral to mm-hmm. it. But they're missing that he's, he's explaining God to them. Mm-hmm. And they're overlooking it. In Matthew chapter uh, 13 beginning in verse 10. John, do you mind to read Matthew 13, verses 10 through 15 for me? I can do that. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that what he had... Even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, 
and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you, and you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus says there, after the disciples ask him about parables, the exact purpose of them. And again, if they were seeking God, then he would help them find mm-hmm. them. And if they were not, then it was, gonna, it was just going to become even more difficult for them. So their heart and what they were trying to do made all the difference. Also had this question, and you know we have not looked at an account of this, but we know that this happened often. Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. Was that a type of teaching also, do you think? I think so. I mean, we see he describes himself as Lord of the Sabbath, saying that the Sabbath was for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's the Pharisees that really made a burden out of the Sabbath because they had built so many laws around it. That to, you know, and, and let's give them benefit of the doubt. Why not? Uh, that they were trying to protect the sanctity of the mm-hmm. Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, they just heaped these burdens on people uh, and then became very, very dogmatic about it. And yet Jesus corrected their understanding of it and saying this was, this was never the intent. It was never the intent to make this a burden or about obedience and, and strict law-keeping. It was for rest. It was, it was a break. It was a release. And uh, they had really changed it in how they approached it. And yet you're spending all your time going around making sure that no one's doing anything, working, in a sense, yeah. <laughs> to make sure others aren't working. The Sabbath police yeah. strolling about. So Jesus challenged their understanding of God's law, and even when he resisted these man-made laws uh, that had made God's, uh, God's will burdensome, but he didn't come to repeal God's law. And I think it's important to note that. In, chapter, in Matthew chapter 5, in the beginning of verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus wasn't coming to abolish anything. Uh, he, was, he was just correcting their understanding of it. And that is teaching in so many ways. I also want to consider Jesus as, as compassionate. Each of the Gospels records miracles uh, that Jesus performed, and oftentimes the miracles uh, for people were not just a demonstration of his divine ability, but out of a sense of compassion. And in fact, six times that Jesus performs a miracle, the word compassion or pity is specifically mentioned. And we're going to look at one of those, but I want to run through these six examples, uh, at least name them. When he raises the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, verses, verses 11 through 17. When he feeds the 5,000 in Matthew 14. When he feeds the 4,000 in Matthew 15. Uh, the healing of two, the two blind men in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. 
uh, when he cleanses the leper in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And maybe we'll, we'll take a look at that in a moment. And when he heals the man who's possessed by a demon in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. So in each of those, Jesus' pity or compassion is specifically mentioned. And we could spend a lot of time talking about each of those and how it demonstrates his compassion. But I want to look at Mark chapter 1 in verses 40 through 45 and that account of him healing uh, the man who, or cleansing, I should say, uh, the leper. Again, John, I'll ask you to read that if you don't mind. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing that Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Thank you. John, how do we know that Jesus didn't perform this miracle for a claim? Well, for one, he tells the guy not to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, he sternly told him, don't tell anyone about this. And just like a good Christian man, he immediately went out and broke, <laughs> broke God's law and needed to repent, which I don't know if he did. Um, but Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away, told him not to say it. Uh, And then also, as you read in verse 41, it says Jesus was moved with pity. Uh, I don't know how big the crowd was that saw this. I don't know if if very many people saw this at all, but there were some. But Jesus tried to do this as quietly as possible because he felt bad for the person. He had compassion. He had pity on him. Why did he pity this man? Why was, what made leprosy such a horrible diagnosis? There wasn't really a cure it was like uh, the result of extreme uh, what's the word uncleanliness and it affected the your body to the point where your your body is physically breaking down and deteriorating and no one wanted to be around you you were by law you were to stay outside the camp outside the city, in your own little camp mm-hmm. for the rest of your life until you were clean, which could happen, mm-hmm. but did not often happen. Yeah, and you know that it was possible for it, for that to happen because there was a... Um, Provision in the law yeah, for it, thank yes. You. Yep. Yeah, and that's exactly what Jesus has told the man to do. He said, don't go and tell anyone, but go and show the priest. And that is so so you can go get your life back. Like, you don't have to live in the leper colony anymore. You can come back and be a part of society, uh, which he's not been a part of for, since he's had this mm-hmm. diagnosis. Um, yeah, there's a lot about leprosy, like you mentioned, uncurable, horrible disease. Very, Basically the kiss of death. Yeah, and, and not a quick one. You know, no. a, a difficult, difficult death, death. So it wasn't advantageous for Jesus to heal this man. In fact, it ended up causing him problems. Mark notes that after this, Jesus couldn't openly enter a town. Even staying out in desolate places couldn't prevent people from finding him. But what if Jesus just refused to heal this leper? What, if, what 
would the consequences of that have been? He's not seen as someone who's compassionate. I mean, you, you know, this man came to him seeking compassion, mm-hmm. and if he turns him down, at least in the eyes of this man, he's not compassionate. Yeah, then, then, then maybe the charge is Jesus only does these things when it serves him. Yeah. But at least in this instance and in many others, we know that's not the case. All right, one more aspect I want us to look at, and that's the idea of Jesus being just. Um, Jesus not only healed the sick and helped the oppressed, but he continued, or he confronted the oppressors. He was forceful when he had exchanges with the scribes and the Pharisees who had been unjust. In Matthew 23, and we're not going to read that because it's a long passage, but there are seven woes of the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus' tone is really obvious when he says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. John, what do you think angered Jesus so much about the Pharisees? They had their own form of justice, I think. They knew what was right, and they were going to enforce it on everyone else. And they tried to make their own law around the law. And when it came to justice, they neglected it in favor of the law and tried to tried to use the law to protect themselves mm-hmm. saying well we're just following the law instead of actually enacting justice and i think specifically of how they would treat their parents mm-hmm. uh, they would say sorry we can't give you any money we're giving it all to god and that's not that's not just so sorry no i think that's such a great example because they they not only do they not take care of their own, which is unjust, they're quite proud of it. They thump their chest over it. Like, look at how good we are to God. And yet God's people, God's creation all around them are suffering, and they're ignoring them. Yeah, and they put these same burdens on everyone else, as you just read. Yeah, there, there are a lot of great examples, and I always think back to the, the widow who gives the very last penny that she's mm-hmm. got to the temple, which Jesus then says is going to be destroyed anyway. Uh, And we look at that, and you and I have discussed this before, but we look at that often as an example of a woman who is so committed to God that she's willing to get the very last thing that she has. And I think that's that's a fair application of that story. But within the context of, of that in the book of Luke, you get a better understanding that Jesus is being is condemning those Pharisees for making this woman do that giving her this feeling that she had to give the very last thing that she had because she was expected to give. And that's not what it was about. That's unjust. It is, it's inequitable. And we think about justice in terms of revenge, like someone getting what they deserve because they've done someone wrong. When the Bible speaks of justice, it's are you doing right to everyone, not are you revenging a wrong. There's a whole lot more that we could talk about. Um, But there's just frankly, there's more than we could cover in a single episode. But let's consider this. Jesus only needed to live a sinless life to qualify as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But he chose to do so much more. He taught. He loved. He corrected injustice. He shared insight. He openly prayed and trained his disciples how to pray. He trained leaders. He comforted the broken. And we could go on and on and on. He lived not only a sinless life, but a perfect life. So that he wasn't just a suitable sacrifice, but he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. 
giving us so much more than we need. And that reveals the true nature of our God. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him.